Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark and today I'm doing a comic talk episode. We're going to be talking the Image Comics paperback trade volume one of Five Ghosts as suggested to me by my guest Benjamin Thomas. What's up dude? What's happening? Oh really really happy to talk with you and uh Especially because, you know, every every comic talk that I've done so far, I'm pretty sure it's something that I'd previously read. And and this was a book that I actually had not read before. And when you first suggested it to me, I actually had it confused in my head with the, the Anthony Bourdain comic, Hungry Ghosts. Oh. <laughs> and so when I looked it up, I was like, wait a minute, the cover doesn't look like this. And so, <laughs> and so I messaged you a picture of the cover. I'm like, this one? And you're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is not what I thought at all. And... um. It was it was really fun, man. This this volume one trade was a really fun read, and um, I'm looking forward to jumping into that later. But being I've never had you on the show before, I was thinking maybe we should just start off and uh, get to know Benjamin Thomas a little bit more. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so um, so yeah, I know you're a big fan of comics. We've uh, we actually met up through the Leftover Army page on Facebook. We're both huge fans of pop culture leftovers. Um, what is your, your background with, uh, with comics? When did you first get into them? Um, well, let's see. I started reading, I read a lot of X-Men comics when I was a teenager in the nineties. Um, but pretty much that was all I read back then was X-Men. Um, and then I didn't really read any comics at all from like probably 2000 to like 2014 ish. Um, and then I, um, we got a we got our own comic shop in 2017, 2016, 2017, and uh, so I started going in there all the time and picking up a bunch of stuff. And uh, I went back and read like all of the uh, Mirage and uh, oh shoot, who's the other publisher? IDW uh, Ninja Turtles comics. Oh, nice. And then I started getting that on my pull list, and I started reading, um, what was it, the Batman uh, Metal or whatever from a couple years ago. Oh, yeah, Dark Knight's Metal. Dark Knight's Metal, yep, I read all of that, and I started uh, going back and reading some of the New 52 and um, uh, Jason Aaron's Thor just kind of started going through and reading different things people were suggesting and listening to podcasts to find stuff to read and been reading quite a bit of comics for the last three, four years. So nice. Yeah. That's, that's the way it's been for me too. It's like, uh, really in, in the past I only read Batman stuff and it was all just in paperback trade and, um, well I, I started off in, in middle school. So this would have been like the, the mid nineties and it was paperback trades back then also. Like I remember mm-hmm. reading the crow and, and a, and a handful of other books. Uh, but it was really Batman that jumped me into it. And then once I started listening to podcasts and then especially after I joined the leftover army and was having more conversations with people that had been like into image and stuff like that. Plus doing the comic cast with, with Jordan, uh, he suggested a lot of books to me and, and really expanded my, horizon on you know what comic books were because for the most part i was really just focusing on you know batman superhero stuff and image like really really blew my mind just the 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 breadth of different story genres that they have there yeah once i started oh sorry go ahead go ahead no no (laughs) once 
<laughs> once I started reading Image, it was kind of the same thing. Like, I was kind of like blown away by how much, um, you know, different non superhero type stuff was out there with like Saga and Birthright and um, stuff like that. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, when you touched on going back to the New 52, I've been. Uh, I had read uh, volumes one and two of New 52 Batman multiple mm-hmm. times and then recently just started carrying on with it. And I read the third volume of that. And man, that it just keeps getting better and better. The the mm-hmm. way they portray the Joker in that third in that third volume, like it was borderline horror story stuff. And, and yep. I loved what Scott Snyder did with with Dark Knight's Metal. <sighs> as well oh yeah dude i loved dark knight's metal it was amazing i'm trying to think uh did you uh read batman hush have you seen the the animated series that's come out of that i, or I have not read hush Mm-mm. oh really are you a fan of batman i, I am a fan i am a fan of batman but it, uh i have not it's so funny i have not read besides dark knight's metal a lot of batman i've read like you know some of the um stuff you'd expect like I read, um, you know, Dark Knight Returns. I read Death in the Family, stuff like that. But I have not read a lot of other. And I haven't read a lot of newer stuff. So even like when I went back and read some of the New 52, I was reading like Superman and The Flash. And What do you think of the New 52 Flash books? Um, I don't know. I liked them. I thought they were pretty good. See, I, I picked up the first two volumes and read them. But then at the same time, I had also bought, you know, like Flashpoint and, um, mm-hmm. and uh, oh man, it was a, a handful of other Flash trades. And then comparatively, I was like, this new 52 stuff, I was like, this is just not as entertaining. And so I just stopped at volume two. Yeah, I can agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I really like what Joshua Williams has done with um, uh, new, or not new 52, Rebirth Flash, because he, he's been on that. Yeah, I haven't read much of any of the Rebirth stuff so far. See, Rebirth's worth picking up. Like, did you read the DC Universe Rebirth one-shot? Um, no. Okay, that's that's if you do want to get into Rebirth, that's where you start. Because okay. that's, that, that's the exact start of what's going on. And it lays out this really cool story where all of a sudden Barry Allen starts having... Or no, it's Wally West is like appearing he's like been trapped in the speed force and is like he's just like appearing in front of these different people and nobody remembers who he is and then right. he finally appears before Barry Allen and Barry's like I have no idea who he is and then as Wally's disappearing he all of a sudden remembers and he's like Wally and then he like grabs him and pulls him out it's pulls him out of the speed force it is super fucking emotional and then you know he's telling Batman about all of it and then Batman finds he notices this like glint in the wall in the back of the bat cave and mm-hmm. he goes and starts picking at it and it's the the happy face button from Watchmen. Oh, I might have read this. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it's it's a long one shot. It's like, you know, 50, 60 pages probably. Maybe Yeah, and that longer. was setting up the doomsday clock stuff or whatever, right? Yes. In the end, the button wound up doing that, yeah. Yeah, and I think Doomsday Clock is still ongoing. Like, at first oh, it was, like, no, going to be an I... issue a month or something, and now it's, like, an issue every two or three months. It's fucking crazy. I think the reason why I remember about the button is they go into some of that stuff about the the button and the Wally West stuff and all that in Dark Knight's Metal when you read the um, 
the tie-ins. Okay, yeah, it probably does. Because I think the Flash's tie-in was something like it was a two-parter, and I think it was called the Button or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flash had, um, well, it wasn't tied into Dark Knight's Metal, but it was a crossover between Flash and Batman, where there was, you know, and they all had, um, uh, oh, what do they call that? The covers that move. It's too early for me. So uh, lenticular. <laughs> lenticular. I kept wanting to call it lithographic. I'm like, that's not right. That's like, <laughs> that's like a form of printing, I think. Yeah, the lenticular yeah. covers were really cool between the Batman and Flash. It was a little four-issue run. And what was really cool is that those issues tied back to Flashpoint. Yeah, and that's what I'm thinking of. I definitely read the button. Yeah, the button's really, really good. <laughs> um, so, like, beyond... Like X-Men, like what would you, or not even, not saying beyond X-Men, but you, you mentioned that you, you started off reading lots of X-Men and then mm-hmm. branched out afterwards. Is, is X-Men still some of your favorite stuff or did you find no. something that, that took its place once you branched out? Yeah, no, I haven't read any X-Men really since I started reading the comics again. Um, I definitely read more DC and, and Image than anything now, so. See, one of the questions people always ask me is, you know, what's your, what's your favorite comic book character? And anymore, I have a harder time answering that. Mm-hmm. Just because <laughs> it's like my old faithful answer is always, oh, Batman. But it's like, you know, there's plenty of times where I'm reading <laughs> Batman stuff where Bruce's decisions piss me off. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, I certainly like Batman a lot, but I don't know if he's my favorite character anymore. Um, if I had to choose, I'd definitely say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, even when I used to read lots of x-men back in the day x-men was my main thing but i still um i read the the mirage um tmnts i mean not when they were brand new because clearly that was like you know even before the series um when i was a kid but like around that same time i was reading all that x-men i definitely read the mirage ninja turtles comics as well see i've never read any of the are you talking like the original black and white stuff yeah eastman and yeah, yeah, Eastman. I I need to go back and read that sometime because I was born in 1980, so I was like the perfect age for when Ninja Turtles and all their action figures and everything came out, and I had like everything. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I got older, and those toys were just you know in the in you know like the big carry case boxes and shit that you could put in that would have compartments for each one and all that. You know, yep. <laughs> they were just in my closet and we had a younger neighbor and my mom was like, Hey, I think I'm going to give these to Austin. Are you okay with that? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. And now I'm like, motherfucker, why did I say yeah. yes? Like, yep. why didn't I keep all those? Like, I think I kept, um, it was like Panda con or something like that, where it was like yep. a, a big battle Panda. I think I mm-hmm. kept that one just cause it was always my favorite just in terms of the way it looked. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure I have him, in storage somewhere but man i had like several foot soldiers i i had fucking everything you know it was yep i had all kinds of stuff myself like uh the most the toys that i had that i collected major collected when i was a kid were he-man and teenage mutant ninja turtles (laughs) yeah i had a bunch of he-man stuff but i really don't remember it too much like i i I vaguely remember that i had like the castle gray skull and i think i had a big uh, like battle cat thing that you could sit on. Yep. But but I don't remember him super well. And, and when I went back and tried to revisit He Man on Netflix, I got past the first episode and was like, nope. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's so terrible on revisit. My daughters are 
my daughters are watching that new um, She-Ra Princess of Power, and it's pretty great. Yeah, so. I really enjoyed what I watched of that. I, did, I didn't watch all the first season, but what I watched of it was really good. Yeah, I think the the third season either is getting ready to come out or just came out, and yeah, they, they're loving it, so. Oh, nice. I knew a second season had dropped, so that's really cool that it's carrying on. Um, mm-hmm. There's some of those kids' cartoons on Netflix that, that I like way more than I should as an adult, especially when you look at like some of my favorite comics and stuff are like really fucked up, but it's like, I love fucking troll hunters, like tales of Arcadia, the, what they're yeah, doing with you, that. Have you watched the three below or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. Mm-hmm. The kids just watched season two of that and they're loving it too. Like I love it way more than, than I have any right to. Yeah. There's a couple other things too. There was, um, there's this like, Kulipalari thing or something that's like it has it's like lizards and frogs and it's like really like tribal and the kids love that too and it's it's pretty good as well yeah i've not watched that one but um all three seasons of troll hunters and then now the the two season run of three below has been fantastic mm-hmm. and then there's going to be a third show that's coming up because three below wrapped up with the second season yeah and uh did you watch them all or just your kids watch them uh, my kids watch them, and I, you know, I see bits and pieces of it. I watched the first two seasons of um, Troll Hunter, but I haven't watched everything since. Okay, right on. Yeah, in uh, that third season of Troll Hunters, it's a little bit weird because since Anton Yelkin died, it's mm-hmm. um, and I can't think of the actor that took over for the voice of Jim Lake, but it's noticeably different. And then they did, they did a uh, a character change where I don't think that happens in the second. I think it happens in the third season. Yeah, yeah, where they they change Jim to where he's the way they change him to make it be like that's why his voice is different. It's like oh fuck, you should just <laughs> like I don't know. <laughs> anyway, and yeah, like see, me and wringing my even... hands, being like I don't know how you feel about your creative choice there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I didn't even realize that they changed the voice because I remember reading like you know right after Anton Yelkin died that um they had they had finished um, everything that um, Guillermo del Toro had planned so far. So I didn't even realize it continued on after and that they did change the voice. Cause I know for the first two seasons it was, I just assumed that they got three whole seasons when they, when they did it. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure that the new guy had to fill in for maybe parts of season ah. two or, he just had to do parts of season three. I, I'd have to go back and re-research it. But I remember at the time looking it up and, and yeah, I, I don't know. Overall, I still like it. I think it's just a fun show. But but every time, <laughs> almost every time I've recommended it to other other adults, they like watch like the first episode. And they're like, this is for kids. I can't watch this. I'm like, I totally understand. But <laughs> Oh, no, man. I dug it. When I watched those first two seasons, no problem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's like there's some episodes where it's like, okay, yeah, this is this is kind of some kid stuff. But then there's also some really dark themes in it, and and plus just all the character design with the different trolls and the and then as you get to three below the different aliens and stuff, it's it's all really fun to me. Yep. And I mean, I have kids, so if I'm gonna be watching kids stuff, you know, I'd much rather be watching Troll Hunters than Air Buddies or whatever. So. For sure. That is that is the <laughs> truth of having kids is that you better get used to watching some PG fucking programming. <laughs> yep. So if I can find something that appeals to both of us, great. I mean, yesterday 
my my older two girls, uh, my oldest daughter just got her own room, so she has a TV and everything set up in there. And my middle daughter got her tablet back from being grounded from it, so she just went to her room and started watching stuff on her tablet. So it was just me and the youngest. And I was like, oh, man, I am not watching, like, Daniel Tiger or something. So <laughs> I, I started flipping through trying to find something to watch. And um, we spotted uh, all five seasons of the um, Nickelodeon Ninja Turtles from the 2000s. And I said, oh, yeah, that's what we're watching. And she was all into it. So that was good. I was like, we can watch Ninja Turtles. That works. <laughs> What's your favorite iteration of the Turtles? Um... Like comics or just in general? Well, let's let's start with on TV. Uh, I was, I, I definitely prefer the uh, the old cartoons the best, but uh, I really liked the the um, Nickelodeon stuff too. Right on, yeah. I mean, I watched a lot of the cartoon when I was a kid, and I and I remember like news articles and stuff coming out and saying, "Oh, this show's too violent for children." And, mm-hmm. you know, be being an ornery young kid, be like, fuck that. <laughs> Turtle power. <laughs> and it's so funny, too, because you go back and you watch it and it's like it's not at all. I mean, like there was such a panic about what was too violent and what was inappropriate back then. I mean, like the outrage against the Simpsons was just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember that being a that, huge that, thing. <laughs> I know, and and that's like the most laughable as at all, or that's the most laughable of all is that they're like, "Oh, the Simpsons." It's like, really, the Simpsons? But I, I remember people being in arms about South Park when it first came out. Yeah, I mean that that made more sense to me. That was definitely not a uh, a program for children, but it was like the outrage against the Simpsons was always weird to me because, like, I mean, the only thing where I was like, okay, I kind of see that was like them talking about. In the early seasons when uh, Homer used to choke Bart all the time. Oh, yeah. But like the eat my shorts stuff and all that kind of stuff. I was like, what? I, this is the stupidest thing to be up in arms about. Even as a kid, I was like, this is dumb. I remember as a little kid, me and my younger sister going shopping with my grandma Stark. And Jamie got a, if I'm remembering correctly, it was a framed either 90210 or just Luke Perry poster. It was framed behind glass. <laughs> and I, I got a framed Bart Simpson poster. The, and he was saying, eat my shorts. Yep. <laughs> that hung on my wall for years and years and years. But like, ironically, I wasn't the biggest fan of the Simpsons. Like I've only seen a handful of the episodes. Oh, wow. I always liked the Simpsons. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about the uh, the other day was that you re- do you remember the movie Bebe's Kids? Uh, just in, I'm familiar with the 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 concept of it, but I don't think I've ever seen it. Like I, I might have probably saw trailers for it. Or was it like a TV show also, or just no, a movie? Oh, it might have been, but not not that I remember. I just remember it as the one movie. Okay, I and it was animated, mm-hmm. a little scribbly, and looking. To- like almost kind of like Rugrats lo- looking. Not quite, not quite. Okay. I don't know. Memory's a fucked up thing. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no. And so I loved that movie when it came out. The um, It had Tone Loke in it as the the baby character. And I remember when we first um, moved, when I was like 12 years old, we moved to California. And I we lived with my, with my grandparents for a little while. And I remember I was watching that movie and my grandma 
was so mad at my parents that they let me watch this movie because the the baby basically wanders around all the time with a shit-filled diaper and flies buzzing around him. <laughs> That's disgusting. And my grandma was so mad that they would let me watch this. And my mom just said, you know what? If you don't want him to watch it, go ahead and turn it off. But he's already seen it ten times. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> <laughs> It isn't like it was like racist propaganda or something like that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like it's a cartoon. I mean, the I don't I don't know how old you are, but like me, I grew up watching like Looney Tunes and shit like that. And it's like I never once tried to drop an anvil on a friend's head. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I mean, I grew up with like I I listened to my parents were. My parents were very liberal with what we were allowed to watch and all that. And like, I mean, you know, the, the Porky's movies. Yes. I, I saw the first Porky's movie when I was probably five or six years old with my parents. <laughs> and so like I would watch horror movies with my mom. And I mean, it was, it was pretty much a thing of like, if he can handle it and if he understands, you know, that this isn't real and, and all that, then it's not an issue. And so, I mean, I watched lots you know, I had to watch that kind of stuff with them until a certain age. And I wasn't allowed to play Mortal Kombat until I was like 13. But like, I mean, I did. I played all the violent video games. I listened to lots of violent music. I watched all the violent cartoons. And I am 100% not a violent person. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's it's definitely more in individual personalities and, in, you know, how a person was raised versus, you know, the art that they were, you know, I mean, immersed to- themselves in. To this day, my favorite video game franchise is Grand Theft Auto, and I have to not play it because if I start playing the Grand Theft Auto online, even now, I'll start playing it all the time and not do anything productive. <laughs> well, it's good that you recognize yourself. Recognize that yourself. <laughs> yeah, I just reached a point with video games, and it was after it was after my wife and I bought our first house, and I had. Uh, you know, we didn't have any kids or anything. We had this three bedroom house and I had a, a little TV set up in a back bedroom and like, you know, my different video game consoles on mm-hmm. it. And I'd be sitting there back there by myself playing video games. And my wife would be out in the living room watching TV or something. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Like mm-hmm. I'm being completely antisocial. And so I, I just kind of stopped playing video games just because it, it started feeling weird to me that I was like, I should probably be spending more time. No, like with my wife rather than just being like, I'm going to go back here and play Metal Gear Solid 3 for like the t- the 20th time. Cause right. That, that was the last game that I was super obsessed with. But man, I, I, I played Grand Theft Auto up through the up through San Andreas. And mm-hmm. that was a fun. Like, I remember when Grand Theft Auto 3 dropped, like what a fucking culture shock that was with the different open world map shit you could do. You could. I remember describing it to like roommates at the time. I was like, this game is so fucked up that I can't believe you're allowed to do some shit. Like you can go pick up a hooker, fuck her. She gets out of the car and then you can go beat her with a baseball bat and take your money back. It's like, Mm, what the fuck kind of game is this? (laughs) Like that is so crazy. And like, I would, I, I never even wanted to follow the missions. I just wanted to be like, all right, I'm going to set up in this parkade and every person that walks by with a green shirt is getting it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I used to do that kind of stuff, too. I used to go, even in Grand Theft Auto Online now, sometimes I'll be all online with my friends and then be like, oh, let's go, 
let's go do a heist or whatever. And I'm like, I'm just going to go to the park and beat up anybody I see that's on a bike. (laughs) 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 Oh man. Do you, I mean, for sure at some point in the future, there's going to be virtual reality that you can actually step into and do shit like that. Right. (laughs) Which is just terrible. (laughs) That's where we'll read. That's, that's where we might've reached the line. Well, yeah. And I wonder if it would take immersion to that point to really start to fuck with people's heads because I I don't necessarily believe that just, you know, playing lots of death matches of fucking doom or quake or running around in grand theft auto where you're just sitting and playing it on a screen. I think you'd have to be a crazy violent person to begin with for something like yeah. that. That I, I just don't buy it that, that you could take a normal person and just say that, oh, well, that's their favorite genre of video games. They like shoot em ups and in open world maps where they can run around and shoot people, and then, then that's going to turn them violent. I don't really buy yeah. that, but I could, and I I mean, could like see if, that getting bent if you were actually in the fucking game, you know? Right, and I feel, you know, maybe like if you only, um, like, immerse yourself in violent media nothing but violent music nothing but violent tv and you spent you know obscene amounts of time playing violent video games maybe that could be a problem and could could kind of lead to that but i think i kind of agree with you that they probably already have something something off for that to be a catalyst for them to start doing violent stuff (laughs) Oh man, have you seen that episode of Black Mirror, the Striking Vipers one, where the people are going no, into the I've video game? No, I've never watched any Black Mirror. <laughs> My wife's watched about, I think she's watched every episode, and so there's certain ones where she's like, "Oh, you have to watch this," and so that one, she was like, "You just need to see." I didn't see the whole episode. She just played enough of like when they first go into the game and what happens, and she's like, "You got to see the twist that this has." And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I've heard that I should watch Striking Vipers. Um, I think I think it was Brian from Pop Culture Leftovers a long time ago recommended that he's like, if you've never watched Black Mirror, start with the episode San Junipero and okay. just go from there. Um, I've noticed that a lot of Black Mirror episodes have got like really tragic endings where it's like if you're empathizing with this main character throughout this whole episode you know, it's the way that it ends is probably going to leave you feeling a little bit dirty, but there's a handful of episodes that have really like joyous endings. And San Junipero is one of those. And, and the, the technology it focuses on is that these people get like this, you know, they put it like a little like microchip or something like that on their temple. And they're able to go in to this virtual reality world. And it pretty much everybody there. Well, okay, I don't I don't want to spoil it any more than that. Let's let's just say okay. that they go into this this kind of uh AI or not AI, but they go into like an artificial reality that's that's all digital, right? And they can okay. choose if they want to stay there forever or if they just want to visit now and again. Um but that's the one that you should go in and check out. Uh, okay. And um personally, I really liked the episode Metalhead, but it's one of those ones with a terrible ending. Oh, wow. Like, terrible in terms of, like, if you were there, you'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is not the blighted house yeah, that I want to live in. My mom was watching some of it, and she said that it's all pretty, a lot of it is pretty dark and fucked up, so that's why I haven't probably jumped in. Yes, dark and fucked up is... is <laughs> <laughs> 
it's it's not one of those ones that you want to watch with the kids. Like depending on yeah, the no, of for kids sure. Is. How many kids do you have, Ben? Four. Okay, I I knew you had a bunch of them. Wow, man, yep. that's got to be a handful. It can be because <laughs> two feels like a handful. And so when I think of doubling that, I'm like, oh my god, I'm so outnumbered. Well, <laughs> me and I still live with my ex-wife and her husband. And so the three of us together, you know, we all support each other. We all support the kids. We all take care of the kids. We all work. So it helps to have that many adults. That's a very new age living situation. And I really commend (laughs) the three of you that you're able to handle that like maturely and do that because, you know, that's really kind of an amazing thing for, you know, kids to actually grow up with three parents. You know, I mean, because there's plenty of kids that grow up with three, four, one, two you know, parents, whatever, but to, to have that sort of, you know, it it is, it's a very modern thing, right? Yep. And I mean, I find we don't put up with any of the, we don't wind up with any of the stuff that you get when parents remarry because like they don't do the, you're not my dad stuff. We don't have to listen to you stuff with John because I won't put up with it. Their mother won't put up with it. He won't put up with it. So it just doesn't really happen. That's really cool. That's mm-hmm. really cool. I could see lots of, <laughs> I, like, I don't know how I would handle that personally. And so that's why it's one of those things where the way you describe it, it's like, that is super it, mature. You guys were like, I think we're like almost four years in or so to living all together. And so now it runs pretty smoothly, but it wasn't always that way. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, me and me and John, which is their stepdad, we got one day while the kids were at school, we got into a full blown fist fight. Oh, shit. But it's never happened like that in front of the kids. It hasn't happened like that since. I mean, um, I def- it was just like there was lots of tensions and they boiled over and then we blew up and we had a fight. And then we didn't talk to each other at all for a couple of weeks and then slowly just started talking to each other again and working together and doing the stuff that needed to be done for the kids and um, moved on from it. And everything's been better since then. But I mean, it's it, it, it's had its moments. Yeah, I mean that's that's absolutely part of the human experience, right? I mean, yep. So that, I don't know. That's that's really cool. That is really really cool. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's see. I had asked about the Turtles TV show. What what is your favorite iteration of the Turtles in the comics? Is it the original black and white stuff? Um, I really like the current IDW comics, so it's hard to say. And Eastman works with them on a lot of stuff still, and still does covers and things like that and so i mean anytime eastman gets involved is exciting um my favorite my favorite runs well my favorite storylines um for the turtles i love all three of the um batman tmnt um the crossovers the current ones oh yes i have loved those too yep uh I I read the one that they did that was like batman the animated series and it was crossed over with the the Nickelodeon um, turtles. And that was pretty cool too, but I love the current, I think they're, they're midway through the third one right now. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we covered the first issue of, yeah, we did. We covered the first issue of it on my other podcast, number one comic books. Oh, nice. I must've missed that one. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's with, um, yes, this third arc has got a really interesting take on it where it's like showing this blending of the two different realities. Whereas, like, we were getting DC characters, but they were all dressed like ninjas. And then we were getting, 
the the different turtles characters and they had like a dc vibe to them as well mm-hmm, i've like, heard that it was really and cool I, I saw they've kind of like combined um the different designs for like different bat family characters with the turtles but i haven't actually started this arc so yeah yeah you'll dig it man and it's i think it's freddie williams the second doing the art mm-hmm. yeah these. it's uh all three of them have been um, Tinian, James Tinian, and Freddie Williams. And then um, Jeremy Caldwell is a colorist, and I'm actually friends with him now. Oh, nice. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw, this was right after I joined the Leftover Army, but um, my son had been in the hospital for a while, and so Jeremy Caldwell had came to our local Comic-Con that we had for a couple years. And I had posted on the Comic-Con site that I was, upset that I wasn't going to make it because he's my favorite colorist period. Like, and so I was excited that he was going to be there because I wanted him to, uh, I wanted to buy a signed, um, hardcover of the Batman TMNT, the first run. Uh-huh. And so, and, um, I also mentioned that I wanted to get the, um, he did, he did the, um, He-Man Thundercats run too. And so I mentioned on there that I was just bummed that I wasn't going to make it because, you know, my son had just gotten out of the hospital and I didn't have the money and stuff. Well, the guy who was running the Comic-Con kind of like Facebook stalked me and found out where I worked. And so while I was at work, him and Jeremy came into my work and signed a book for me and gave it to me at work. I do remember you posting that story. That is really, really awesome. And so since then, I've met him. I've gone and met Jeremy twice, once at the comic shop and then once at the next year's Comic-Con. And now we're friends on Facebook and talk. And he only lives like two or three hours from me. He's you know recently divorced and working on his health. And I'm divorced and working on my health. And so we talk all the time. That's really great. Yep, I love it. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so he 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 said the other day that uh, he can't tell me any details, but he just um, he just got his next um, DC assignment after uh, Batman TMNT three, and it's going to be huge. So I can't wait. Oh, that's fantastic. Yep. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> like, I can't show you the details, but I know you're going to love it. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I can't tell anybody anything about it, but it it's going to be awesome. Just watch. <laughs> I've had Doug Wagner on the show uh, a couple times and interviewed him mm-hmm. for number one comic books and stuff. And, and yeah, I've kind of had conversations like that with him before, too, where like he'll give me like the tiniest little detail of an upcoming project. And I'm just like squealing in delight. It, it was I funny. The last... Wait. It was funny the last time that I, I I met him at the Comic Con. It was him and Freddie, who's amazing. I love him too, and it was awesome to meet him. That is uh, awesome. But, so but you got books we were with, with signatures from two, with with from two of those guys. Yeah, I have um, the the heart the first hardcover signed by just Jeremy, and then I have the second hardcover signed by Freddie and Jeremy, and I also have a um a poster that's a Batman TMNT poster that they made just for our local Comic-Con that they both signed. Wow. That's really awesome. But it was funny when I met him that, when I met Jeremy that, that last time at that last Comic-Con, because that was where we were like starting to get to where he recognized me when he saw me and we'd start talking. And so I had mentioned, um, something about him and, um, Freddie working with, um, Rob Liefeld the previous time when he was at the comic shop. And so he's like, yeah, I remember last time we talked, you asked me about Rob Liefeld and he's like, and there was a bunch of people around. So I didn't want to say anything, but I'll just say this. He's an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. The guy seems to like attention. Joe Vitale's story about Rob Liefeld, where like Joe and a friend of his were like talking back and forth on Twitter, didn't even have him tagged in it. And Liefeld like inserts himself into the conversation where it's like, do you just search yourself on Twitter, you weirdo? <laughs> You're like, nobody even added you. I know. He's like, well, no mentions this week. Let's do a deep search. Yeah, right. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Somebody's got to be talking about me. Oh, my God. Rob Liefeld. Jesus. Yep. Have you seen the... <laughs> have you seen that picture that he drew where it's the one comic uh, panel of Captain America with like the teeny tiny head and like the giant yes. fucking chest and it's like what the fuck man yes <laughs> or the, the character where it's like pouch man where everything about it is pouches and I think it is like, yeah I was going to mention pouches. that I loved, I loved that because he was kind of playing to the fact that everybody was complaining when he first went to it when he first they first started image about how all of his characters had a million little pockets. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he does have a sense of humor enough to draw that. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, there were points in that, that Image Revolution documentary where he kind of came off like a little pompous. and so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, you know. It's easy to come up with an opinion on a guy when there's it's just select bits of media and hearsay and stuff that you hear. But but when it, it seems like lots of people that have met him in person have said that, so it's like, hey, maybe yeah. When I when goes. I asked him when I asked him at the comic shop, he was just kind of like, eh, you know, he's Rob. And then when when I talked to him at the comic con, he was like, he's an asshole. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> dude, I I remember. I remember I was interviewing this one comic creator and in the middle of the interview, he pulls out his phone and starts texting. <laughs> oh, wow. And it's like, dude, we're face to face. Yeah. I met the, like, should I text the you art- these questions? <laughs> <laughs> I met the artist for, um, the Marvel zombies runs at that same comic con. And, and he was a dick. Uh, you know, he I mean, was drawing. They, they're people, you know, and, it, I, and I can get it. I mean, maybe some people, you know, there's definitely people out there that are legitimate dicks, whether they yeah. should be or not. But man, if I sat at a table all weekend, that, I might reach a breaking point. And, and when I was interviewing yeah. this guy, it was towards the end of the con and it was at the end of the day and, and all that. And so I, I did it with a grain of salt, but it's still, it's like, fuck, okay. We had the, um, the guy who wore the suit, um, for both, um, Ninja Turtles movies, the stunt guy basically that was Michelangelo. Oh, cool. And we had the guy that played Kino in the second Ninja Turtles movie at Archon. And Kino was kind of a dick, too. Like, what's his name? Ernie Reyes Jr. Like, he was just playing on his phone the whole time, hardly talking to anybody, charged ridiculous money for a picture with him, and then, like, left, like, halfway through the last day, even though he was supposed to be there the whole day. <laughs> So yeah, he was kind of a dick. Oh yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't think that one's just, uh, you know, that he's not just enjoying the experience. I think that one, he's just kind of a dick. Yeah, you know, they say, they say <laughs> sometimes don't meet your heroes. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> oh man, uh, we should probably jump into this book. What do you think? Yeah. All right. So, yeah, you picked the book Five Ghosts. Uh, it's uh, created by writer Frank J. Barbieri and mm-hmm. artist Chris Mooneyham. It was published in 2013 by Image Comics. Uh, Five Ghosts, the synopsis 
is a bold new era of pulp adventure begins here. After a tragic encounter with an artifact known as the Dreamstone, infamous treasure hunter Fabian Gray was possessed by five literary ghosts and has been granted access to their unique abilities. Uh, we're covering the volume one trade of this, which is covers uh, issues one through five, and it is called The Haunting of Fabian Gray. Um, like most Image Comics uh, volume one trades, you can pick this up for 10 bucks and uh, well worth it with this book. Um, I thought that the first issue started off a, a little bit slow, and in the second one, I was kind of like, what the fuck? But by the time I got to the end of the fifth issue, it, I felt that it was a very good complete story that teased just enough to make you want to pick up the next arc. Mm-hmm. And uh, then on reread, I read this twice. Uh, those first two issues weren't confusing to me at all. And then the stuff I was confused by made sense. So it's definitely one of those books where, mm-hmm. where I feel like if we, if I were to cover just the number one on this, say on like number one comic books or something, I might not have given it as high a rating as I did on the reread after knowing what happens in the next four issues. But, um, but what did you think of this one, dude? I mean, you, the, this must be a, a favorite comic of yours. Cause I gave you free reign to pick whatever you wanted. And if I'd have put money, I'd have been like, I wonder if we're going to be talking saga. And you came back with five ghosts and I'm like, Ooh, let's do yeah. this. <laughs> An um, unknown. Well, okay. So when um, I picked it up um, as a trade, I got the first issue at our local comic shop or the first trade. And, uh, it took me multiple times of starting it before I got past the first issue. (laughs) So that is definitely a thing where I, if I had just bought the first issue, I might not have read anymore either. Um, but I kept being like, all right, man, you bought this thing, read it. And, you know, and I, I was really intrigued by the, um, by the storyline with, you know, the different literary ghosts that, you know, it seems to be, uh, Merlin, Robin Hood, uh, Dracula, let's see, Merlin, Robin Hood, Dracula, Sherlock Holmes, and then Musashi. Musashi. Yeah. And so I was really intrigued by that whole thing with him, like channeling these ghosts and taking and getting their powers and stuff. So I was like, I have to keep reading this. So I finally powered through that first issue. And then, yeah, after that, um, the second issue, yeah, the first two issues are both, upon first read, are both really confusing. The story is non, completely nonlinear. Um, but, yeah, like the same thing that you said, once you get into, like, the third issue and the story is really cooking along, you get lots of, um, you know, action pieces and stuff like that, uh, it definitely turns around and I, I loved all this. I've, I've um, read some of the second, second trade as well. I thought I had read the whole thing, but not quite. Um, and, um, I definitely really, really dig the whole, there's a lot of mythology. So, um, that they're building with, um, I mean, I don't know you want to dive into the story, yeah, yeah, let's just dive into to issue one here. Um, it it starts off when we're introduced to this Fabian Gray character who's, he's, he's almost like a cross between Indiana Jones and then, you know, fill in the blank on, 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 on another character with like a lot more like mysticism type involvement. Mm-hmm. There's definitely, there, there's a couple 
things in this that really point to Indiana Jones. He's he's kind of this treasure hunter. And so through the course of this, we see him go into like, you know, different ancient ruins looking for treasure. You know, he's specifically looking for different stones that are, are said to have power. And mm-hmm. um, it's taking place in the 30s, the way Indiana Jones did. And there's even, it, it's just laying the groundwork for what what, what is going to be the larger story taking place here but we see some stuff with even like nazis being involved as the bad guys and yeah i mean and and we go from like you know an early reveal about the nazis all the way to them being you know like the last panel so they definitely set set this whole thing up to have something to do with nazis yeah and then it's got that i mean that for me was a big indiana jones feel as well because Mm -hmm. you know nazis going after mystical treasures and stuff that was the the backbone of two of the four you know indiana jones movies Um, Mm -hmm. if you look at the front cover oh sorry go ahead (laughs) no if you look at the front cover um you know he he looks like indiana jones but instead of having a whip you know he's got a sword and there's like a um, a spider with a skull on it, which is very Indiana Jones. But then there's also like some kind of tentacled creature. So it definitely toes that line of like different um, styles of um like 1930s adventure pulp. Like, yeah, and just the way they set up the book. It, it really does have that old timey feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. Like the, the introduction page of the, the very first issue. Let's see here. Let's see if I can take it right from her. No, not the first page of that. It's, it's, I guess you get that feeling more as it goes on, but definitely at the end of each book, the way it sets up for the next story, it has that feel of like a, you know, like a 1930s serial or something. Oh yeah. Like that. And like, the opening splash pages all look like those old adventure comics and comic strips and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, just overall, I like the feel of this. I love the artwork in it, the color work in it. it's really good. Um, the one thing that, um, that's kind of funny is that we listed those five ghosts and I almost wish it would more just stick to an archetype, um, at least as far as this first trade goes, I don't think it actually names any of the characters by name. You know, it, it's yeah. more you know the the wizard, the archer, the vampire. Yeah, and I don't think they ever really do. The most we get as to a hint of them being a specific character is um, when they he goes through through the trials, and he's going through the detective's trial, and you see like 221B Baker Street, and that's where they're going. You know, you're going, okay, they're going for Sherlock Holmes here. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, I do remember that now. Mm-hmm. And then, it, but what's funny is that Musashi, Musashi was a real person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but he's also, the, the, even in his time, they were making comics and comic strips, basically. They weren't really comics and comic strips, but like, you know, little illustrations of like his adventures. And there was, novelizations about him and things that like painted him as a, as a, like a larger than life fictional character, even though he was a real person. Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, his story is one of those ones that's always blown my mind. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I remember watching a, a documentary on the history channel years and years ago about him. And it was, uh, um, is the name Mark Dukakis. 
The dude from Iron Chef America. Yes. Okay, yeah. So he hosts this whole thing and goes to Japan and, and tells the whole story and, and goes to a, a school that was teaching Musashi's style of sword fighting. Uh, cause, oh, nice. Because back then, uh, you know, samurai and swordsmen, Japanese swordsmen, they just used the longer katana with two hands on it. Well, Musashi held a sword in each hand and right. people weren't prepared for this unorthodox fighting style and he also used like mental tricks against people too that they weren't prepared for like he'd get people super pissed off before they'd fight so that they were in emotional state and, mm -hmm. and there were people that that he was like nah it's, this is going to be unfair for you if i use a steel and so he just used a fucking stick and would beat people to death <laughs> yeah and, and so it's like, like no wonder he was a living legend you know i mean this crazy shit but a, a japanese friend of mine was like, oh yeah, Musashi, like he died in a cave. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he's like, everybody wanted to kill him to be the person that killed Musashi. And so he spent the the, the latter part of his life just hiding out in a cave. And that's when he wrote yep. the Book of Five Rings. And <laughs> so, yep, interesting stuff. But it, it uh, what I'm getting back to is that I liked the the archetypes of these different yeah. ghosts because combined together, it's like. It, it is kind of the perfect power set in a way because you've got the archer and that, you know, you got undertones of like hunting and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And then the wizard, there's all sorts of magic you can do. Musashi representing the warrior and then the detective, you know, just being able to deduce things. And then with the vampire, just being the monster where it's yep. you know it, it, capable of just, you know, brutal displays of strength and savagery and stuff. So as this book comes together, and we see him use all of these different power sets in the very first issue, but he doesn't have like full control over it. And and mm -hmm. we come to find out that it's actually getting worse, but, but he's using these powers to like seek out these stone relics that he's heard of. And so as, as it started off just with this first opening mission where, you know, he's breaking into some German castle because it's mm -hmm. Nazis that he's going up against. And then he steals mm -hmm. this stone and then, you know, takes it back to this woman in Barcelona that, of course, he's in bed with, because why not? <laughs> <laughs> like, what did you think of that whole just opening scene of the book? Um, yeah, I, I, I loved all of that. It, like you said, it, that's where you're going. OK, so this is going to be like a, an Indiana Jones type story. And then they almost throw like a little James Bond in there with like he's working for this girl and he's, and he's, you know, he gives her the stone and then he's got to sleep with her before he leaves. Yeah. She's like, do you sleep with all your clients? He's like, only the beautiful ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Where are you going next? Oh, this one's personal. It's been on my mind for a while. Yep. <laughs> I guess that's my Fabian voice. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds about right. <laughs> it's about what I heard in my head. <laughs> Ah, ah, that's funny and so yeah so then he's he's going back to london and he's falling asleep on the train and he's having these nightmares you know about this woman that's getting you know we see those tentacles on the the cover of the the volume on trade and this woman's kind of getting drug away by these tentacles and screaming out mm -hmm. for his help and then he's met at the train station by and i i you know this is on me i should have made better notes here but i'm not remembering what this dude's name is but it's the guy that's with him throughout all this he's got glasses on and so that's the yeah in my um, mind it was like okay it's fabian's dude with glasses i think it's like friend. sebastian or something okay 
And uh, so Sebastian then meets him at this train station. And then Fabian, the he has this big attack on him where it's like the powers that are in him like kind of assault him and, and basically mm-hmm. put him into like a coma for like four days. And when he comes out of it, he tells Sebastian, you know, yeah, this is getting worse. It's getting harder to handle. And I don't know. What what did you think of that? Because, I mean, obviously the, he was so powerful in that first issue that they had to come up with some sort of way to incapacitate him a little bit. And what did you think of that mechanic to do that? Is that, okay, yeah, the powers like, are not accepting well, him and they're putting him into this coma. Right. I was kind of surprised by all of that because, like, you know, um, when it talks about in the, in the synopsis about how he's been granted access to the unique abilities, I thought this would just be something like he could tap into and like, um, you know, choose, choose which ghost to tap into and use their abilities. And it's really in this first trade, not presented like that at all. Like, um, it's, it's presented more like, you know, certain ones come to the surface when they're needed and he doesn't really have control of it. And, um, it seems to be like as much as they're helping him in situations, it seems like it's like killing him or like not, maybe not killing him, but it's like, it's not, it's not good for him. He, he's having adverse effects on him. Yeah. There's, there's two like major storylines that are not resolved in the first trade. And then the, the backbone storyline that the first trade is, is basically Fabian just, coming to terms with what his powers are and Mm -hmm. how he can live with them and control them. And, Mm -hmm. and just in terms of that, it was really good. But then these other two storylines, we, you know, we touched on the one earlier with the Nazis, but then the other one that we get much more of in this first issue, but it does not get resolved is who this woman is that he was dreaming about on the train. And, and as we go along, we come to find out that it's his twin sister. And, Mm -hmm. And he's got a lot of guilt about what happened to her. And, and when he comes out of this coma, uh, it, this was kind of an interesting little two, page, two three page deal here. Uh, we, it skips <laughs> back to Barcelona and, and the woman that he had stolen the stone for and slept with. She gets visited by this like creepy looking dude that's like asking, wanting to know where Fabian's at. And she attacks him. And the first time when I, when I first read this, I was like, oh, she's dead. Like mm-hmm. she like pulls out a grenade and like, what's, what's the, what's the great line that she tells this like zombie looking dude, you couldn't handle half of what I can do. <laughs> and <then> she like <laughs> detonates this grenade. It like blows up and it's like, but then like a, a few pages later we see her getting carried out of the rubble mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, well she's still alive. And, and she's saying that, you know, this thing is, is coming for Fabian. Like whatever yep. this thing was. And, um, and then we, we get Fabian waking up in a bed and finding out that he'd been out for four days and uh, he's going to, you know, what is it? The the dude that he's working with, Sebastian, had word that, that another stone's been found somewhere in some temple. And so they're going to go after it. Yep. And um, I mean, you know, this is. What did you think of that setup (laughs) where it's like, okay, now we know that there's supernatural forces that are coming after Fabian. And then he just gets handed this note that there's another one. I mean, do you you think that that's, I don't know, how am I trying to put this? Like, it seemed like it was just, you know, okay, this is just what's happening to further the plot along. 
Or, I mean, as it goes on, you, you come to find out that really that's what he's been doing ever since his, his sister kind of disappeared is he's going after all these different stones. Right. And, and, you know, we're going into where, you know, we're starting to find out about um, how he got possessed by these ghosts with the dreamstone. And so we're starting to find out little pieces of that. And so it starts to see that it starts to feel like, you know, he's looking for these other stones, which, uh, you know, you don't know if it's other stones or other parts of the dreamstone or what exactly, but you, you're, it starts to feel like, you know, he's looking for these stones because that's going to be the answers to getting his sister from wherever, wherever she's gone. Yeah. And, and so, okay, then we get, we see this guy that's like kind of contacting these other ghosts and the ghosts are giving him instructions on what to do and saying they're getting impatient with his failures and stuff. And he's more or less given the line of, you know, if you need something done, you got to do it yourself. Uh-huh. And then, um, and so he, he's kind of an evil looking dude. And, and then, what was weird is that yep. at the very end, it's so, it, it's like, you're getting this feeling that he's been working with these other ghosts for a while and they're telling him what to do. And then at the end of the conversation, he's like, "Thy will be done. And if you'd please, and if you'd please masters, call me Iago. And it's like, mm-hmm. and, and I know that this guy has some other, you know, like literary quotes and stuff. Yep. And, uh, and so I'm wondering, it's like, is that just from source material that I'm not familiar with? But I thought it'd be weird. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, hey, I've been working with you guys for a while. And, and I know you call me Sean, but, but my name's Kevin. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? what's going on? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and it seems as though some of the, the other characters um, have, you know, um, almost like their own literary ghosts. Um, as we find, you know, when we get to the, I don't want to jump ahead, but like there's more stuff coming that makes you feel like some of the other characters have maybe have their own literary ghosts. Yeah, for sure. Right. Because, I mean, we come to... F- yeah. Okay. We'll just save it till we get there. Cause I, I think, mm-hmm. I think yep. that's in the third issue. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. We got, uh, we got Iago here looking evil and then and we get Fabian and he's going and he's visiting his sister and, um, you know, she's in a coma. So physically right. she's there. So really it's, it's kind of like her mind or soul or whatever that's been taken away from yep. her. And so then we get Sebastian and Fabian and they are, they're in Africa and they're flying in a biplane and then they get attacked by uh, some locals. They're throwing spears at the plane and then they jump out into a lake and then they have a big fight with these people. And Fabian's powers kind of, you know, skits out on him and yep. and they they both end up getting captured by these uh, tribesmen. And I I thought that. Man, now, because now this is, you know, I didn't read it this time, but this is now the third time going through it. And it's like, every time I read this, the first issue gets a little stronger for me. Mm-hmm. But, but just going into it, not knowing any of the else of the backstory, the first issue was pretty confusing. So yep. it's it's definitely one of those books. And like you said, it took you a few times to even get past the first <laughs> issue in the trade. Yep. <laughs> but, um, but I'd say, yes, stick out the first trade or stick out the first issue and uh, you know the the action definitely picks up here, 
in the second issue. And uh, let's see. Sorry, I, I don't have the paperback trade, so I actually got <laughs> I got to do some clicking here. Right, and so like that's the thing, you know, that's what started to kind of win me over with it was that, like I really enjoyed the storyline and I liked the, you know, just the conceit of it, but there's a lot of action. And so like once all that action started kicking in with him, like, you know, samuraiing these like armies of, um, like wild tribesmen and these giant spiders and stuff, then I was like, oh yeah, this book's pretty damn cool. Yeah, and it, it has that old-timey feel just even looking at the cover for the second issue because, yep. it, you know, it's it's got the artwork on it. And then at the bottom, it says Blood for the Spider God, and it has, like, a mm-hmm. profile shot of a character that we haven't seen yet. And then it says, yep. plus, who is Zhang Guao? And it's like, okay, cool. That's it. What's interesting about these two, and then if you look at the back cover, it has a complete, sem- like, summary of what happened in the second issue. So it's like, if you're just the comic shop flipping around, you read the back cover. <laughs> you just read a paragraph that spoiled the entire comic <laughs> for you, which is kind of interesting, but, but it also, it, it has that old timey feel to it. And like, I just loved the feeling uh, of this mm-hmm. book, but it, as far as the way comics start out, issue two might have the weirdest fucking opening page that I've ever seen. And then also the, as you read through the first issue, I don't know if it ever explicitly calls that woman his sister, you know, that he was dreaming about being taken mm-hmm. and then he went and visited her when she was in the bed in the coma. I don't know if it explicitly called her her sister. And so the first panel or the first page of issue two, it's a, just a four panel page, just four, you know, horizontal panels. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, the first panel is a whole bunch of sperm. Just swimming. <laughs> yeah. When you were like, this has the weirdest like first page, I was like, I think he's talking about the sperm. <laughs> I'm absolutely talking about the baby batter. Why Why do we have this? And so it's like, okay, sperm. And then it's like him and the woman. I, and, and you can tell that it's the woman from the coma because she's got a very distinctive like bride, bride of Frankenstein white streak through her otherwise dark hair. And it's like mm-hmm. they're on the deck of a pirate ship fighting pirates. Mm-hmm. And so it's like pi- it's like sperm, pirates, pirates, them looking at a stone behind glass, and then the next page, eggs, pirates, yep. pirates, the glass exploding, like fetus, twin fetuses, lots yep. of rain, more pirates, more tentacle monster taking sister. But in the first time reading, it's like I don't know this is sister. And so the f- right, but and the first time I was reading this issue, I was like, "Sperm, what the fuck?" And then I was like, "And then I was like, oh, cool, we're gonna get pirates." And then I'm like, "Oh, well, that's what the sperm has to do with." There's like twins, but then I was like, "Wait, is this is this him and somebody?" And then I was like, "Oh, is the girl his sister?" So yes. I was like, "This is insane." So yeah, you had the exact same three pages of confusion on your first read that I did. So let's just say it was that's funny though because it really was like sperm what the hell and then oh cool pirates <laughs> i'm glad i wasn't the only one <laughs> <laughs> and so then it goes in and it has like a uh, kind of the splash page for the comic which is really cool because then it says you know image comic presents five ghosts the haunting of fabian gray and then we see 
Fabian and Sebastian then, and they're tied to these pillars inside this temple. And then it says part two, blood for the spider God. And uh, we, we meet up with these two guys and they're about to be sacrificed to these giant spiders that mm-hmm. live in this temple. I mean, like giant freaking spiders. And, uh, and then at the same time, we also see this other like figure and we only ever see him in shadow for a while. And he's infiltrating the temple and he's cutting his way through all these guards and he's making his way towards, you know, Fabian and Sebastian and Fabian's powers finally come back just in time to, to break their bonds and get them out of this. Now, once we get past those first three confusing pages and it gets into what's going on in the temple, like this issue is just a roller coaster from beginning mm-hmm. to end. Like I remember I read the second issue so fast to where I was like, Oh, it's done. Like that was the end. Yeah. There's not a lot of, um, there's not even a lot of dialogue. It's just a lot of action. Yeah. And, so, and they, they come to find out that this, this guy that's coming in and rescuing him has a similar power set to to our main character Fabian mm-hmm. and that's uh, Zhang Guao and he we get more of his story in the next issue but just in this one with him being the mysterious guy that comes in and rescues them from the temple and kind of he, he like restores Fabian's powers in a way right mm-hmm. yeah because Fabian's powers had kind of failed him and then when this guy shows up his powers kind of reactivate and, yep. um, and man all the fighting and stuff we get in this issue the amount of action and everything is really, really great. And the color work in it's really dope too. Yep. But I mean, just in terms of breaking down, I mean, there's really not much more to say about this issue other than the lots, yeah, of, it's a lots lot of, of action. action. I mean, it moves that, that issue moves along really fast because I mean, we get the most amount of dialogue that we get is like things like, you know, Oh, something is, something is making my power stronger. And Things like that. So Yeah, and then the way that it ends is really interesting though, because uh Fabian, you know, uses the power of the the vampire ghost and you know, yeah, he's able to tear apart all these giant spiders and, and kill all these, you know these um these tribesmen in the temple that, you know, are worshippers of the spider god that are trying to sacrifice mm-hmm. him to these spiders. And he's about to go kill Sebastian too. Like he's gone into an entire like bloodlust, like rage type shit. And then uh, Zhang Guo is able to jump in and stop him at the last the second cool and like when, knock him out. Mm-hmm. The cool thing when we get to the vampire is that like, you see that like the vampire like asks him, you know, uh, to like accept like his, his powers or whatever. It's almost like that's the, that's the only one that really does it. But like, it's almost like, it's almost like vampire mythology, you know, about being invited in. Like he says something to him and then like he agrees and then the vampire comes out. Yeah. And that's interesting because we see him use the vampire power in the first issue and it Mm -hmm. didn't go that way. But we also know that, you know, his, his powers aren't working correctly. So, right. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it definitely went way further than it ever had before. And so, Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so Zhang Guo knocks him out, and then they're able to escape on like a, a hot air balloon with like a, a Chinese junk hanging under mm-hmm. it, and uh, that was really really cool. And one of those last panels, of them climbing up the rope ladder to that while the spears are getting thrown at him, was a really really cool artwork. Right, and I love that because like you know you don't see hot air balloons as a 
as a means of, you know, transportation, story progression or any of that stuff outside of, you know, 1930s adventure novels and and pulp comics. So that was I love that they they left in a hot air balloon. <laughs> yeah, and it says on the last page um Okay. This magazine contains part 2 of the serialized storyline The Haunting of Fabian Gray, in which our heroes are taken captive, a sacrifice is offered to the Spider God, an enigmatic new ally is introduced, a battle is fought in an ancient temple, and Fabian succumbs to the dark powers of the vampire. Mm-hmm. So I, It just trips me out a little bit that they put that on the back page, but, but it just has more right, of that Right, kind of tells you the whole it. story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because... You know, for sure, there's always been a contingent of the population that's like, you know, oh, don't tell me the ending. But I wonder if, like, the whole spoiler thing is more of, like, an internet thing just because the ease in which everything can be spoiled. But Right. So I, I don't know. But it, it for me, it added into that old-timey feel, and I liked it. Right, because, you know, they really did used to do that. They really did used to kind of spell it all out. You're going to see this, this, and this, and this, and... And there's pirates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's pirates. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of like when you, those are definitely like descriptions you would get on a, a dime store adventure novel, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. And um, this third episode's really good because this is like, this is the episode with the answers, right? Right. So th- this is the one for me where, where the story all came together. And it was like, yeah, the, the second issue was fun and it read through really, really fast, but I wasn't completely sold on the series. Or I wasn't completely sold on this trade until I got through this issue. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really cool because we get, well, it, okay. So this is also the first little bit that we get of the, the Nazi subplot where this issue right. starts off with this professor in a college and he's writing these notes on this chalkboard about this theory that there's a collective unconsciousness that Mm -hmm. like all of humans share and this other reality that we can tap into is called the dreaming. And so he, this, this professor is just kind of telling these, this class of students against it, the bell rings and he's out, you know, walking through the campus, going home and a car stops by with a dude in a full blown fucking Nazi outfit, picking him up. Yep. And, uh, for me, this opening scene really did have overtones of Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom. Oh, yeah. Or not Temple of Doom, but um, uh, Last Crusade. And so, yeah, more of, the, more of that Indiana Jones feel in this. And, but that's really all we get in this issue, right? It's just those two pages of yep. this. And we're like, okay, so here's somebody that knows stuff about the Dreaming. He's connected with the Nazis. Okay. And then we jump right back over to the hot air balloon and let's see, what is Zanguao telling Sebastian? He's asking him, you know, where are we going? And he's saying, you shall see. And then we get another one of those really cool, you know, splash pages where, you know, Image Comic presents an astonishing tale of adventure and excitement. And uh, part three, enter the forgotten city. And Zanguao takes him to Shangri-La, which is like really cool. Mm-hmm. The way that they portrayed it here in the comics you know, with all these buildings and a temple and stuff up on top of this mountain with waterfalls and other mountains in the distance, like really, really cool stuff. And, and Fabian wakes up in bed. He's having this dream of the vampire telling him to feed. 
And uh, what's funny, too, is that uh, Sebastian's like, it seems like our friendship is starting to resol- revolve around me waiting for you to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that made me laugh because I was like, there are lots of panels of him just waiting for Fabian to wake up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it almost makes you wonder if that's going to even continue to be a theme later. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and, now that they called it out. Yeah, yeah. And so then, you know, they go to to meet this guy who brought him there. And, uh, and this guy's really cool. Like, he... Like, at first, Fabian's a little bit worried, and he's kind of looking around, you know, like, where's my sword? And this guy's like, hey, man, I didn't I didn't bring you all the way here just to murder you here. You know, it would have been way easier to kill you along the way. Don't worry about that. And uh, he tells him, like, exactly how he came to be, that a long time ago he was kind of like, you know, an adventurer and a thief like him. And then he found this stone, and it actually transformed him into this former guardian of these mm-hmm. these stones, right? And yep. and so, yeah, this is, you know, Zhang Guo's kind of Johnny explained it all. And it is very welcome once it yep. happens in the book, because then we find out about how these dream stones, they connect, you know, with this this other plane of reality that everybody has some, you know, some access to. But if if you have one of these stones, if you possess it and in, in Fabian's case, it's like shards of the jewel, like actually embedded in his chest from yep. a stone that exploded. And, and that's why he has this, five. this five shards. Yeah. He's got this very unique ability to connect with these different ghosts, but at the same time, the ghosts are imprisoned within him mm-hmm. and they're not happy with him and they're not happy with, with being imprisoned there. And that's kind of what's been causing his, his powers to, to be going wrong is that he hasn't, he hasn't really made peace with these ghosts and the ghosts haven't accepted him yet. And, and so Zangua tells him that, you know, there's this special spring under this temple and mm-hmm. we can take you down there and it's, it'll make everything right. But, um, like, like, what did you think of this introduction to Zangua? Oh, I loved all this Shangri-La stuff. Um, I liked that everything was getting to be so, um, mystical and that there was, you know, this whole, I loved all the stuff about the dreaming and about this idea that, all of, um, you know, fiction and all that lies inside this shared consciousness and that everybody can tap into it. I loved all of that stuff. Um, and I, and I loved this whole thing about, um, the spring and the trials of the ghosts and things like that. So yeah, I loved all of this stuff. Yeah. It, this it is all worked really probably well Probably my me. favorite issue in the whole out of the five. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'd say it's it's definitely up there for me. Um, ah, that's that's funny. I didn't even think to rank these things. <laughs> um, and, you know, before it can go much further, we see one of, you know, the the people that's just in this, you know, this this room with them. This lady off to the side is like, you know, she's like, oh, master, I'm not feeling well. And then she mm-hmm. like transforms into this like weird zombie thing. And then we get this bad guy, like this Iago dude, right? And he's like yep. talking through her and attacks Zangguo. And so uh, Fabian, you know, he channels the uh, Musashi and he's able to, you know, attack this thing, cuts its arm off, cuts its head off. And so when I read that, I was like, oh, that poor lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I guess there's no coming back from that. Right. Um, yeah. And so 
then uh, after using the, the power, you know, the stones are really, I don't know, they, they, they put Fabian into another attack where he's super out of it. And so they take him down and they want to make sure that, you know, they have his permission that he really wants to do this because he is going to be going through a magical trial. And Fabian's like, yeah, do it. And so, dude, what did you think of that wacky contraption they hook him up to to lower him down into the water? Oh, man, it was like, yeah, I don't even know. Like, the first time I saw that, I was like, what even is that? <laughs> yeah. Like, imagine someone being crucified, but without the nails, and it's like uh-huh. they're, like, flexing both biceps. <laughs> like, yeah. that's, like, the thing that lowers him down <laughs> into the water. It's really yeah, it fucking was... weird. Yeah. It doesn't look comfortable. Oh, for sure, right? <laughs> <laughs> And uh yeah, then the, the issue ends with uh with Iago riding the back of a dragon attacking Shangri-La. Mm-hmm. And it says next the five trials of Fa- uh Fabian Gray. So I mean the, yeah, issue three is a great issue. It it runs yep. through, it gives you all this information that you've been dying to know about what's going on, and then we get the bad guy showing up on a dragon at the end. So promising that the next issue is going to just start off fucking awesome, right? Yep. And then, uh, yeah, we get another one of those same pages on the back where it kind of just summarizes what happens. And man, it's just, I, I love the, the theme that they stuck to with this because all five of these issues really all feel the same. And I really feel like, like Barbieri did a really good job of just laying this out as a contained story with promises of more to come. And, and so, you know, going into it, I knew it was just going to be five issues. And so. I was really excited to pick up issue four and, and, you know, see how that one was going to go. And this is one that I would not mind getting in paperback trade, actually owning a hard copy of it. Yeah. When I just reread it, I read it through, um, the, um, hoopla app on my phone, but I, I have the paperback trade. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm just looking at it on comiXology. Uh, so yeah, so uh, th- this next issue it starts off with a flash page, and it's Fabian like a full page splash, and it's Fabian underwater, you know, attached to this weird ass rig, <laughs> and uh, he just kind of wakes up like in this forest, and he's going through the first trial with the the archer, and he finds this fox with a foot stuck in a trap, and then he lets the fox go, and then he gets attacked. Okay, so what's weird first is he lets the fox go, and then he's holding it, and he looks at it, and then the fox's face turns into his face. So it's like yes. he's holding up this fox with, like, a tiny little Fabian head on it. Yes. It's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> that, was the, that was the other, like, what the fuck is going on moment besides the sperm page. <laughs> For sure. The sperm right? splash page, if you will. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely phrasing, right? <laughs> Sperm splash. (laughs) And then we get another one of the cool um, Image Comics presents. It's like, did you step out into a wind tunnel? (laughs) No, my fan decided it wants to start spinning. Okay. (laughs) It wasn't, and now it is. It sounded like you were ready to jump out of a plane. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so we get another splash splash page bleh, splash page in which comic presents part four, the five trials of Fabian Gray. Oh, this one doesn't have its own special. Okay, yeah, it's called the five trials. Um, and then we uh, jump back over to uh, Iago on this dragon, and he's attacking um, Zhang Guo and uh, Sebastian outside of the the temple. And to just the dragon full on like engulfs them in flames. I'm like, all right, I guess these guys are dead. <laughs> you right? <laughs> like did, the first time you read this, were you like, okay, they're dead? Yep. And uh, so yeah, it just jumps right back to uh, uh, Fabian in the trial, and now he's fighting a grizzly bear. And uh, I thought that this was pretty brutal. That the fox he tells the fox to run, and so the fox now has its own head back, and it's running away. And uh, and he picks up the fucking the, like the trap is now open again, and so he picks yep. up the trap and fucking swings it and it clamps shut on the bear's face. <laughs> yep. And then the archer's like, "Okay, pass." And it's like, yep. Wow, that was that was fucking crazy. I don't know if I've ever seen someone <laughs> swing a trap on a fucking chain and have it hit something in the face. Right. And I grew up watching Looney Tunes. I mean, those traps were in like every episode, right? Yeah, I know. Any episodes with a. Uh... Elmer Fudd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wiley Coyote always putting bird seed on them. <laughs> Wiley Coyote, those two, yep. And uh, so, yeah, then Fabian just kind of transports to like a, a different place where now he's inside of a building and, you know, he sees someone sitting in a chair and he goes up to talk to it and it's like dead Sebastian, like in the chair with like a rat on his shoulder and he's all decomposing and shit. And yep. all of a sudden, all these rats just start climbing up Fabian. Like, dude, that was a creepy panel. It, it was a creepy panel. I freak out about it. It's funny. Like, I, I used to be terrified of rats. And then I got rats as pets, which was kind of weird because I didn't like them. But then I totally loved those two rats. But still, the idea of, like, a room full of rats, oh, that's creepy as hell. Well, that and there's a huge difference between, like, a rat that you keep in a cage and you cuddle uh-huh. with and it's it's clean and free of disease and just a whole pile of rats that just came out of a fucking sewer yep so yeah yeah no i, I totally get the rat thing right <laughs> personally i've always been way more freaked out by spiders and i think it's just because i can kind of like rationalize the way a rat walks around whereas yeah. the way spiders move they're just fucking terrifying <laughs> yeah i can see that <laughs> And so, yeah, Fabian goes diving out this window and he finds himself on the streets of London. And this is where he meets up with the detective. And I don't know what kind of what's the test here is that he just knew to go into the right door. Yeah, that's what I I did wonder about this one, because it doesn't really give it doesn't really make it very clear what the test was. And it's like he finds this the the door that says 221B Baker Street and then Sherlock's like pass. Yeah. So that, that one was a little weird to me. Yep. So the they t- didn't think that trial out too good. Right. <laughs> For the one that should have been the most cerebral trial. It's like, okay, I'm running away from a giant rock monster and I picked the right address. Yep. That's funny. And uh, yeah, so then we jump back to the fight with Iago and Zhang Guo had actually used the power of his stone to create 
you know, like a, a force field around them. He tells Sebastian to take off running. And uh, and then Zanguao starts fighting Iago, which is fucking creepy because Iago's got a sword and he slices Zanguao across the face and then licks the blood off the blade. Yes. I was like, okay, that's that's beyond metal. Right. <laughs> that's kind of icky. <laughs> like, yeah, that was that. Oh, I don't know. I was unsettled by that myself. <laughs> Unsettled. Like, what about hepatitis, dude? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come on, man. <laughs> dark wizard. Aren't you afraid Apparently. of AIDS? Yeah. <laughs> this dark wizard, man, he's like a honey badger. He just gives no fuck. Right? <laughs> he gives no fuck. <laughs> and, uh, okay, so then, then Fabian kind of jumps into the next part of, um, you know, the, this, these trials and now he's talking with some woman that says that she's going to answer three questions for him. And so, you know, she tells him where they're at and then she tells him about these different ghosts that are kind of pure energy from the dreaming. And so now it's the wizard and he has to show the wizard like his magic ingredients or whatever. And so they give him this riddle and I'm going to read this riddle right now. It says the loftiest cedars I can eat Yet neither pouch nor mouth have I. I storm whenever you give me meat. Whenever you give me drink, I die. Um, I'm not the best at riddles, and I shocked the shit out of myself that I knew the answer to this within seven seconds. <laughs> like, how did you do on this the first? Because for sure, uh, whenever I, I read riddles, I, I give him I a shot. Yeah, I didn't get it until he was like, fire! <laughs> it was just was the like, last okay, sentence on it. The, the yeah. last sentence on it is what sealed it for me. And I was like, oh, fucking right on. <laughs> you give me drink, I die. I'm like, oh, that's a fire. And I read through the rest of it. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, he, the, the riddle gets read. And then we jump back to the fight. And um, yeah, Iago gets the upper hand and, and takes Zangua's, um, uh stone from him because it's just on a medallion around his neck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, we saw that coming, right? Yep. And uh, so then back in the dream sequence or in the trials, you know, Fabian's tossing shit around the room, trying to figure out what the fuck the answer to the riddle is. And so he's like, uh, finally, it's like, what? Something starts on fire. And so then he's like, oh, I know what the answer is. And so he passes the magician's test. Yeah. And see, like right there would have been a good time for him to have Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Why wasn't it Sherlock that gave him a riddle? Because the wizard's like, we want to see your magical ingredients. And then he gives him a riddle. So that, that yeah. one doesn't really make sense. But yeah. Okay. Anyway, moving on. So then we've got this <laughs> next trial and it's with, it's with Musashi. And the artwork in this is just dope, isn't it? How they're yep. facing off across each other. And we just see them in silhouette. Yep. Looking at each other in this field. And then we see the set and sun behind them. And then they have this sword fight. And... He's able to beat Musashi. Now, if you notice here, they're calling him Musashi, or they're saying this is Musashi, and he's only fighting with one sword. So it's like, yep. come on, come on, guys. Why, why didn't he have a sword in each hand? Yeah, they're doing the one-handed, one-handed sword stuff, but not two sword. Well, not, not a sword in each hand. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yep. yeah, he's able to beat Musashi, and so then Musashi get, gives him the pass. And, uh, man, we go back to uh, the fight between Iago and Zhang Guo, and... Uh, 
Zhang Wao b- bites it. Like, you know, Iago destroys his stone. And then, like, kind of another another Raiders of the Lost Ark thing here. Yeah. Oh, like, Homeboy's face just melts away, and then the guy disintegrates to dust. We get a panel of Sebastian screaming no. And then <laughs> Iago here. <laughs> It's like this is his gangster moment where it's like it's never pretty when time finally catches up to you. Now where were yeah. we? <laughs> and so it's like, wow, dude, Sebastian, he's just been running from trouble and really getting lucky this whole time. And now he's like, wow, I just watched him fucking disintegrate this guy. And now he's coming after me next. Yep. And uh, so then now by we're on the very last page of this issue four and. Oh, so I totally blanked on the dude's name for a second. I was like, come on. <laughs> Fucking Fabian comes up face to face with the last um, test that he needs to pass. And it's with the vampire and the vampire is standing on this little altar. And he has his sister. He has Fabian's sister, Sylvia, on her knees in front of him with like a, a chain around her neck. And so it's saying next issue, the end question mark. Dude. As far as the last pages of this book, I think this issue had the strongest last page. And the last bit in the in issue three had a fucking dragon on it, so I mean that's really saying something. Like, what did you think of that last page? Um I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. I mean <laughs> clearly I liked- clearly not as cool as I thought it was. <laughs> Yeah, no, I really liked the dragon page from the last book. (laughs) (laughs) To each their own. (laughs) Yeah. But with that one, for me, it was, for me, that that last page was satisfying because, you know, the one one overarching storyline in this was Fabian searching for his sister, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then in some of the different, I don't know if we saw this in another issue or if we see it more in this one. Sebastian seems to be Sylvia's like significant other, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, you know, Sebastian even has a stake in, in getting Sylvia out of this coma too, but but really Fabian's the one that's been carrying the guilt of it. Because right. know, when when they first found this stone, it exploded five of the shards embedded in his chest, and then these tentacle monster took Sylvia's soul away, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we see where it's at. It's like, okay, supposedly one of the ghosts that's within him is holding his sister captive, or is this just a, visu- a visualization of Fabian's guilt? And the mm-hmm. guilt that he's carrying is, you know, the vampire is able to kind of manipulate that. Is that even one of the reasons that these spirits within him are so unsettled because he's not at peace himself? I, there was just lots of. It just got my brain really percolating, you know, and, and, right. and had I been reading this as it came out and I would have had a month to go in between issues, I'd have, I'd have probably reread this, the specifically the third issue and the fourth issue over and over again and, mm-hmm. and, and come up with all these things. But being that I read this in, you know, trade format on Comixology, I was able to just plow right ahead into issue five. <laughs> issue five, I think, might have the best cover so far with with Iago yes. looking crazy and it, it's almost like he's juggling these five skulls that are turning yes. to dust in front of him like if i if i like I, I i bought it as a trade you know just going through the image trades at my shop and and reading the you know the descriptions on the covers or on the back and um but i think that like if i had found him issue to issue i might not have bought any of the the first one's based on the covers, but that, that last cover is pretty dope. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if, like, for the most part, many of the covers on this are, like, epic ones that you'd, like, put on the wall or whatever. It's like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a cover. But th- this is almost one worthy of, like, putting on display, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially if you have otherwise creepy decor in a room already, because this right. this cover has the feel of, like, a horror comic. Right. And, uh, so, yeah, we jump right into it, and it's... Okay, so now is where we get the flashback of what happened when... Did Fabian, like, shoot somebody else? Did he, like, betray, like, a partner to get this stone? Uh, I'm not sure it seems like that. And there's a definite, um, you know, thing here about being greedy. So I definitely think that that is the case. Yeah, so, so it was him and some other partner going to this temple. They find the stone... He shoots his partner in the back and he takes the stone back to his sister and his sister's now really freaking out and being, you know, yep. like, this isn't what we do. And he's saying, you know, look, this thing is so valuable. We can finally stop stealing things. Now just yep. read this passage out of this book and, you know, we'll be able to do this shit. She reads the passage. The stone explodes. She gets taken away. And we just kind of see uh, him, you know, carrying her, you know, carrying her unconscious body away. I love that when he's like, you know, read this, just just read this inscription or whatever. She's like, you're lucky I don't believe in any of this junk. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> uh, and, and that's why even if you don't believe, you don't fuck around with supernatural. Exactly. <laughs> uh, this one has the best title page. With, uh, Agreed. You know, we got the top image of him just carrying his unconscious sister away. And then the bottom picture is, you know, his head clutched in the vampire's hands, mm-hmm. screaming and the vampire kind of in the background. The color work on it and every, everything is just fantastic. Yep. And it says part five, tell truth and shame the devil. And uh, yeah, then it jumps into uh, the dragon attacking more Shangri-La. <laughs> this fucking hapless monk just like turns a corner and sees the dragon he's like oh fuck (laughs) (laughs) but uh i mean we get iago just walking around just wantonly murdering people and sebastian just continuing to run away with you know this guy what's he say oh i do love it when they run and (laughs) and so it's like as the as i'm reading this i'm like okay obviously this is gonna time out so that, you know, Sebastian's going to keep running and, and eventually it's going to time out so that Seba- or Fabian comes out of his, you know, it comes out of the trial and everything. And of course it goes that way. So, I mean, th- that part of the story is a little bit predictable, but um, we see Fabian, that like, he really kind of fails this last trial. He's when he sees his sister there, he can't handle it. And he's saying, you know, it's my fault. I did this to you and I'm too weak to save you. And so mm-hmm. then the vampire tells him he's failed and then he gets pulled out of the water. And, and it's really, it's, it's as he's coming out of the water, that's when he gets the vision, the real vision of his sister. And she yep. says, you know, kind of tells him what she needs to do. She says, uh, don't let this be the end. Stop worrying about me. I'm not another treasure for you to chase. You know, for now you need to be strong and save yourself and go fight for the ones who depend on you. I'll be waiting when you're ready. And so, She's she kind of alleviates his guilt right there, and and he's able to yep. to move past that mental block that was stopping him. And uh, so, man, he he kind of goes back in. He he faces the vampire again and points out, and he's like, you know, that's not my sister. 
and you know, yep. I'm not going to fail my friends. Give me your power. And so then the vampire kind of gives him his respect and says, all right, you pass. Yep. And, and I really liked the way they did that, that fifth and final challenge, you know, cause of course the last one is the most powerful one. You yep. Know. I did that. I did too. I liked that. They, I liked the, you know, like false finish to it. And then, you know, um, like making peace with, you know, um, not having to focus all of his energy on his sister and then going back and passing the, the challenge. Yeah. And then, uh, he comes out of the water just as Iago's about to strike down Sebastian and we get a really, really awesome full page splash of, you know, him coming out of the water with the water dripping off him. And he's saying, you want my dreamstone? Come and take it. And he's got yep. all five of the ghosts now. So he's using all five of their powers in tandem. He's, he's not just using one at a time. And yep. he's got kind of like a blue glow around him, whereas Iago's got a red glow. And man, the, the fight they have there at the end is really spectacular. And then when Iago takes off his robe and shows the stones that are embedded in his chest, like, dude, that is mm-hmm. some fucking creepy shit. Yes. And, uh, and so, yeah, Iago then summons that dragon and then the dragon takes off after Sebastian. And so I thought it was kind of funny because for a little bit there, I thought Sebastian was done running. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right. <laughs> now you get to run from something exponentially worse. <laughs> yeah. You thought it was bad running for me. Here's my dragon. <laughs> and um, I don't know that the fight between Iago and Fabian throughout this last issue is really, really cool. And we get to see some really great artwork, really neat mm-hmm. use of their powers. And I don't know, the, the, the sword fight aspect of it was really good too. Like what, what, what was some of your, your highlights from this last, you know, this kind of boss battle that we get here? Um, I loved all of the, all of the sword fight stuff throughout the whole, throughout the whole series. Um, so that was probably my favorite part of this was the sword fighting. Yeah. And, and it also, it makes it look like that we get this page with them fighting and we see like four different instances of them fighting and it's a giant issue or a giant, um, like Musashi in the background. So do you yeah, think they're both that. channeling Musashi at the same time here? Uh, possibly. It's kind of made me wonder, but then, um, you know, he kind of gets, he's, so he's, you know, he's losing the fight and then he gets some inspiration from the detective and he's able to, to take out Iago kind of by, mm-hmm. by pile driving him into some stalagmites, <laughs> <laughs> which is definitely a gnarly way to end. Right. But then, you know, as Iago's dying, he says some interesting shit. He's saying, you know, this is just the beginning. I'm but a vessel, you know, nothing of the forces gathering against you. They will claim what they are owed. Yep. And, you know, then we get kind of the, the happy last two pages with Sebastian and Fabian where, you know, Fabian's really kind of, we're finally seeing him with a bit of a smile on his face, which might be the first in the, in these issues. And, um, you know, he's saying that his, he faced his fears and he really, the realizing he needs to learn to live with himself and keep the ones closest to him safe. And, um, it, it's pretty cool. Cause it definitely sets up this thing of being like, okay, great. We're going to get more Fabian and Sebastian to come. Like, like what, what did you think of that? That little wrap up right there? I mean, it's definitely happy shit, right? 
Yeah, I liked it. I liked that it does seem to have a happy ending because, you know, we we know what's going on that with this this Nazi still looking for him and all the stuff that Iago said that it's not a happy ending, but it's kind of nice to wrap up the this first arc with it, everything seeming to be like somewhat like a happy ending, knowing that, um, you know, everything's just going to kick off again further down the road. Yeah. Yes. And, and then it finishes out with, uh, some dude like watching in like a crystal ball and he sees Iago's death mm-hmm. and he's got a copy of Othello sitting in front of him. And then we get the college professor and the Nazis show up and you know, they're, Yep. Being like, you know, hey, this is this is not going well. And then this dude that was looking in the crystal ball saying, you know, you know, we have the upper hand. You know, we we know all about this guy. We know all about Fabian Gray and his weaknesses. And he doesn't even know who we are. You know, he doesn't even know we mm-hmm. exist. Yep. And so, you know, that's that other big payoff that, you know, this is reaching clear back to what was I think it was the second issue where we first see this mm-hmm. this this college professor or third issue maybe. <laughs> And um, yeah, I think it was the second issue. That was where we first find out about the dreaming, right? I think that's the second issue. Okay. And um, and yeah, so now we get what are going to be the big bads for maybe the next story arc. Um, yeah. So so far, I've only read this first arc. I knew I know it does go for three trades. Um, I guess before I get into that, like, what did you think of this little kind of epilogue at the end with the bad guys? Um, I liked it. I it, um, I. It, it made me want to made me want to jump in and start reading the second trade. Um, I didn't didn't have the second trade at my comic shop when I bought this one, and I haven't bought it. But I had started. Um, I had read the first couple issues of the second trade on um, just online somewhere, probably on Read Comic Online. Um, and uh, I really liked it. I need. I want to. And then rereading it right now makes me want to jump back in and and finish it. So. Oh, fantastic! And you know, I I did a lot of digging after after I finished the the fifth issue. I did a bunch of internet searching, and mm-hmm. uh, I guess in in October 2014, Sci-Fi announced that they were there was a show that was under development. It was going to be produced by Universal Cable Productions and uh, Black Mass Studios and Bender Spink. Well, that's a fun name. <laughs> Jesus, Bender Spink! What the fuck? <laughs> uh but there there hasn't been anything else since uh no word since and so i'm imagining that 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 that's yeah, going that, nowhere that it's gone the way of the birds yeah <laughs> sci-fi they canceled it before they even got there um yeah right <laughs> well and then i did a, a little bit more reading around and apparently it ends rather abruptly at the end of the third trade and okay. then there was announcements in 2017 saying that you know the the that the the creators were both working on other projects but there's definite plans to get back in and, and finish the series but so far it, it hasn't happened yet and the last okay. post on the Facebook page for Five Ghosts is back on January 15th of 2018 and he says thank you for all your patience awaiting news about the next issues of Five Ghosts we were hoping to get the ball rolling in 2017 but need a little more time to get things together We'll have more news for you in the coming months as we put the next Baxa issues into production. Stay tuned. 2018 will see the return of Fabian Gray. Now, 2018 did not see the return of Fabian Gray as <laughs> exactly. far as I know. <laughs> so, yeah. but I mean, people on Reddit are, are definitely 
you know, hoping that that's going to come out. And uh, I mean, there there really hasn't even been any Reddit chatter on it. Wow! Like very recently, there's so. yeah, I didn't know all of that. Yeah, so well, let's see what's what's the last one because I remember the Reddit one was pretty fun. Yeah, August thirtieth, twenty eighteen. Someone's like, so basically, no one seems to have a clue about it. <laughs> right. It's like you are not wrong, dude. <laughs> Nobody knows shit about what's going on with this. Yeah, and uh, like people even are like, yeah, I tweeted the author and didn't get anything back. Um, but you know. Fuck, man. With the different creators I've talked to and understanding the my minuscule understanding of, of what it takes to put a comic together, it's a massive undertaking. Yeah. And, and, and the, that the first trade was, you know, this originally came out as a Kickstarter. And, and that goes back to, uh, well, I guess it would have been 2013 or pre-2013, right? Yep. That's what always blows my mind with, like, um, Robert Kirkman. Like how quickly he seems to pump them out, how he can keep series going as long as he does, how he can have series come out like already with like six or seven issues ready to go that nobody knew were coming. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's work ethic one. You, like, yeah, like the the amount of comic books that Donny Cates able to juggle at the same time blows my fucking mind. Yeah, Donny Cates too, insane. Yeah, and so you know, I, <laughs> and the, and that the quality of work doesn't suffer for how many books he's writing. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, Donny Cates is like more than human in a way. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read anything by Donny Cates that I didn't think was awesome. So oh, same here. Um, but yeah, there are three volumes of uh, there are three trade paperback volumes. And it looks like there's a volume one hardcover uh, uh, deluxe edition as well. And the deluxe edition came out on June 24th, 2015 on Image's website. So this book has been dormant for a little while. So while I would highly recommend people to read this first trade because it is fun. And from what you said, it sounds like the next ones are good too. Yeah. Um, But if it does have a you know, a rather abrupt ending that that doesn't fully pan out. That's kind of a bummer. But, yeah. I don't know. It didn't stop me from loving Deadwood. And that just well, stopped like, abruptly. So I mean, I know they finished that out with a movie now. Deadwood tangent. If people, <laughs> mm-hmm, if people start to read this and like it, I would also suggest um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, see, I've never read that. Oh, they're so good. And they're... They're a lot like this. They're very pulpy. They're very dime store adventure novel. But like they're also there's lots of mysticism and magic and weird shit. And it does and it doesn't just it doesn't just connect to like older literary stuff. Even some newer stuff comes into play. It's very interesting. See, this put me in mind of the Joshua Williamson run of a book called Ghosted. I think Ghosted went for 20 issues, maybe. I think you can collect the whole thing in four trades. And it had a vibe similar to this, whereas Ghosted is, it's almost more like an Ocean's Eleven thing, where it's like heists that involve ghosts. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, but I mean, it goes to like, you know, different jungle temples and, and shit like that, where it has some of the same vibes as this, um, but, you know, clearly different, but... But I'd highly mm-hmm. recommend it ghosted for people as well. Um, 
Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm glad you recommended this book. I, I thought it was a, a really fun read, and I'm definitely interested in reading those next trades, and, and mm-hmm. I hope the creators are, are able to finish it out. I hope so, too. But, man, there hasn't been peep on social media <laughs> or, yeah, or anything else, uh, at least from what I could find uh, on doing my searching. Yeah, that's too bad. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah, dude, this has been super fun talking to you. Um, and and I know you're a big fan of comics, and so we'll definitely have to do some more comic talk stuff. Um, it was it was my hope to get to get Rod in on this. This might be the first comic talk I've done without Rod on uh, uh, along for the ride. But, oh, that would have been fun. Um, yeah, I know he he had he had he's he's got stuff going on this weekend. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, hopefully I'm excited to listen to, um, that turn it up to 11 episode that you did with him and <laughs> him and Paul, but I got to finish, I got to finish stranger things. Oh yeah. Yeah. We definitely spoil everything. It, <laughs> oh my I God. started it yesterday and then was like, what are you doing? You haven't finished the show. <laughs> and like at first I tried to keep us going on like a linear path and I think it all, it all falls apart. Like when we're talking about the third episode and then we just go on and just start discussing just the so yeah i'm glad i didn't even listen like oh you can listen till they get to what you watched because yeah i don't want to start getting spoilers yeah i I, we tried but (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was when i told you that paul that paul uh spoiled a future episode but i wouldn't say anything to me that's what i was talking about <laughs> he, he said, "Me and Rod were both on, and I said, oh, cool, comic talk.' And he's like, turn it up to eleven.' And I was like, fuck yeah!' <laughs> and then Rod's idea for the start, or not Rod, Paul's idea for the start of that episode is potentially the silliest thing I've ever done on Startcast. I, I, I love it. I, I did listen to the, I listened to the intro. Oh, funny shit. <laughs> I love Paul. He's just he's he's great. He's hilarious. He's such a nice guy. Oh, Paul's awesome. Yeah, Paul's been a <laughs> Paul's been a good friend to me the last couple of years, so. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, Paul's great. I love the animated Batcast. Um love listening to that show with him and Rebecca. Uh, um, I'm so excited that that's back. Oh, yeah, right? And um mm-hmm. I have lots of issues with just the the way that the DC Universe app runs on my Fire Stick cuz it just crashes constantly. I still haven't even tried it on the Fire Stick. I just do it on my tablet. Oh yeah. See, and what I sh- it it it'd probably run better if I just ran it off the app on my phone and then cast it to my TV. But yeah, I don't know if I can do that with Fire Stick or not. I know I can do it to a Chromecast, but right. But um, that aside, I've been uh, uh, going through the the Batman the animated series episodes and watching them with my kids. And man, it has been so much fun going back because yep. you know I'd seen some of the episodes when I was a kid, but for sure I didn't see all of them. Yeah, and uh, I'd say without a doubt, you know, being that I've read so many Batman comics, I think if you're just watching TV and you want to get a good feel for Batman, but you don't want to read a lot of comics, watch Batman the Animated Series. Oh yeah, dude, they nailed every character on that show. They did. They they perfectly nailed the detective aspect of Batman, and yep. they cover all of his training and all that. And yep, I don't know. I I've yet to watch an episode where I'm like, oh, that one sucked. So like, I mean, there's so many like villains that I love the animated series like portrayal of that I'm like, I can't see that anybody doing a good job with in like any other format. So like Clayface. Oh yeah, yeah. The stuff they do with Clayface is fantastic. And Man Bat. 
Yes. Yeah. All the stuff with man bats really good too. I actually just uh, watched the Tiger Tiger episode. Oh, I love where, that one. Where uh, you know it had a, a little bit of a cameo with Doctor Langstrom, and so mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. And then what was the other one? There was another man bat episode where it was like. I can't remember what that one was called, but I just watched that one recently also where he had a much larger role in it mm-hmm. and fuck it. I can't remember the name of it. Not important. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Tangents. Tangents. <laughs> now this has been a blast talking with you, dude. And I really appreciate you coming on and uh, look forward to talking more comics with you in the future. Yeah, I definitely want to do it again. So Awesome. Awesome. Uh, you mentioned while we were texting, you did some other, um, uh, podcast appearances this week. Any other shows people should look for to, to, to get, uh, some more of you in their life. Um, I recorded, a um, episode of the real Zodiac last night. So awesome. I love that show. Quentin and Amanda are so cool. Yeah. I loved it. We did, uh, remember the Titans. Oh, very cool. And so that was a lot of fun and that's, those were the two I got in this weekend, but it looks like I've got a couple other people that are wanting me to to record with them, so I'm working on those too. So Fuck hopefully it. I'll there be on a go. few more things. <laughs> I know Tales from the Yard, you get mentioned quite a bit with Shooty uh, saying that you need to get him a soundboard. <laughs> yeah, and see, I, put, I made a post the other day about how I was excited that I was finding some time to podcast, and then I got a, um, a DM from shooty asking what I was doing and I was at work. So I think that might've been him, him trying to get me on, on there. So that would be fun. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm always messaging him and telling him about how much I love it when they start talking shit to me about how I need to buy him a new message board. Did you see the, did you see the Facebook th- post the other day with from Vitaly where he was like, Scott, don't talk to him until he buys you a new soundboard. Yes. Yeah. That made me laugh. And I told him, I told him, you know, it, it's never enough. I bought him the t-shirt he wanted. Now he wants a soundboard. <laughs> you know, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. <laughs> Scott cracks me up after that last episode that he was on here. You need to be like, look, Mr. Giant 75 inch fucking TV. <laughs> I think you can afford a fucking mixer and a soundboard. Yeah, better than I can. (laughs) I'll buy you a soundboard and you butcher my next pig. (laughs) We'll make a trade. It's all in good fun, though. Yeah, this. uh, I I love Shooty. He's great. Oh yeah, no, this like unofficial podcast network. that we have where where, you know so many of us podcasters are fans of each other's shows and and give each other you mean the official rebecca daling podcast network (laughs) yeah right (laughs) i'm sure rebecca loves that (laughs) (laughs) oh man no our our community we have is is fantastic and and having opportunities to you know have conversations like this and kind of connect on the different things we we love and and the fact that you were able to turn me on to a a book here that i'd never even heard of before that you know i thought i had i was wrong (laughs) (laughs) and i i i love that you know there's all these people that i've never even met in real life who i just absolutely consider to be you know real friends and even family so yeah, it's a pretty amazing thing, right? Like mm-hmm. all the all the shitty stuff that's come about from the internet, but but when you're able to create a community like this, it doesn't matter if we're spaced all over the world. You know, yep. when, when we, 
you know, have places that we can come together and have conversations and share, you know, share, share, uh, things with online and stuff. That's, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. And, yep. and it's an awesome thing. And, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I man. always feel like I, if I have some specific thing I want to talk about, I know somebody that I can talk to from the leftover army. So <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> always. There's all, I'm like, Oh, I want to talk about this. Oh, that I know that Rebecca likes that, or I know that Jared likes that. So there I go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, yeah, man, this has been great. And uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Until next time, this has been StartCast. <laughs>